Hey everyone, I am super excited to announce a new online program, the Champion Sports Physical Therapy Mentorship. I've teamed up with Dan Pope and Dave Tilly to create this brand new 12-week mentorship program, and we're now opening it up to the very first cohort on June 10th. We hear all the time from people that they wish they had more mentoring and people they can learn from to help accelerate their careers. We're going to take you through all our foundations of sports physical therapy, including our clinical evaluation, working with non-operative and post-operative patients, building return to sport programs, and even learning advanced phase rehab and strength and conditioning principles for rehab professionals. In addition, we're going to have a bunch of case studies, a community, and live sessions to interact and ask us questions. We really can't wait. Check out the show notes to learn more and sign up today. The first cohort starts June 10th. On this episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show, we talk about using movement screens in sports, returning back to gymnastics after injury, and how we assess and manage pain thresholds. The Ask Mike Reynolds Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. I'm up here, champion PT and performance up in Boston, Mass. Lenny McCrina, Dave Tilly, Dan Pope, Mike Scaduto, physical therapist here at Champion. We're here answering your questions, so keep them coming. Head to MikeReynolds.com, click that podcast link, and there's a form to ask us all these great questions. So fill them out. We get a bunch of new ones every week. We want to keep seeing more from you guys. So let's take it away from our students. We're going to start with Zach Tallyho from Regis University. Is it University. University. What's the difference between a university and a state? <laughs> we're finally, one begins with a U, one begins with a C. I said we're finally Good Seinfeld, right? We finally have recurring teams, <laughs> like recurring jokes and stuff like that. I still don't know these answers. So Zach's going to start off, and then Logan Genghis Klan from U- U- Wash University. I'm going to say the University of Washington. Wash you. Wash you. Wash you, baby. Wash you, baby. Wash you. Don't watch me. Wash you. That was stupid. Tally ho. Uh, Deborah from North Carolina. What trends do you see in movement screens for injury prevention in professional sports? What is being used and by whom? What research is needed? In professional sports. So what movement screens are being used in professional sports? Hmm, I don't know if we necessarily know what other people are doing. Right. Uh, we can talk about the evolution of movement screens in professional sports. So I'd say the FMS is probably still like the probably the movement screen that people are trying to use the most to uh, predict injury and stuff like that. We can talk about that a little bit. Um, I know in my experience, I know myself and many other people are kind of moving away from that in terms of using it as an injury prediction tool because uh, we're not quite seeing that that's relevant. I think the biggest issue with that, and this is I'll leave it at this, is that each sport is so inherently different that I'm not sure if there's one movement screen that can that can do this for every sport. You know, so I know in baseball we have special things that we look for that are above and beyond like the FMS. So I don't know, maybe Dave, Dan, you guys can talk about some of your screens that you use in gymnastics and some of your high-level fitness people. Mike, you can talk about golf real quick, but like I think right here, just from just from us right here, we all have slightly different screens based on the sport we use. So I don't know if there's one, but you wanna Yeah, I would briefly? say that I definitely started out after school, like kind of in that system pretty heavy, and I found, like you said with baseball, that I was a lot of stuff that I was lacking to see a gymnast or CrossFit athlete or whatever it was. And I would say that I took the principles of the screen, or maybe some of the things, and then I kind of filled in all the things that I felt were missing, and it's much more of a composite screen now that it is 
you know, these tests with these numbers. And uh, I would I would say that in talking with great people, they agree that it's kind of moving away from injury and it's much more of like a, what does someone do at a baseline level? So I guess that's where I'm taking it personally. Yeah, I think it, you know, Mike was kind of alluding to it in the literature. I think things like hamstring strength testing and that type of deal is, is coming about in certain sports because they see a ton of hamstring problems and they're noticing that if you're, you're weak, that could be a predictor, you know. Uh, I think for me, I, I, I still look at mobility. I, I'll, uh, I'll do my own uh, system. We've kind of created our own. We've alluded to this before. Um, I was educated in the Selective Functional Movement Assessment. Dave and I have kind of uh, traveled and spoke a little bit about how to uh, assess your athlete for the CrossFit population. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in sports where you require a lot of mobility to perform well, it's going to be important, right? A lot of people will poo-poo things like stretching as a way to not you know, reduce the risk of injury. But if someone can get into the right positions to perform their sport, then it makes sense that they probably should get the mobility in order to do that. And it also makes sense if someone's moving poorly from a perspective, one joint's moving a little bit more, we do think that could be potentially related to an injury. So I know a lot of people say like stretching is not important and you know, big studies will show that stretching doesn't really prevent injury. The other part is that if you can't get into the right positions or if you're in a poor position, it's gonna to lead to more stress in a different area. Sometimes I think that's gonna to lead to a problem. So again, population specific. And I would, I would piggyback kind of like the three things that we've talked about is like we, our populations could blow the FMS out of the water and be super hypermobile and that's their main issue. So I think that's a, a challenge with only using one type of system, whether it's FMS or something else is what if somebody super hyper mobile and gets to the extreme but then can't you know control it right mike what about golf yeah i guess in golf right now it's uh right now people are using the titles performance uh institute screen tpi screen and uh use that on our golfers here and i mean, don't use it to predict injury kind of whatsoever uh we do the screen it's a movement screen and, and we're kind of just looking at how those physical characteristics manifest themselves in the golf swing um, but we're not trying to predict any kind of injury um by using that screen we're just trying to see kind of the relationship between the two, so I don't know, I'm not trying to predict injury through that. <laughs> yeah, well, you're, try, you're trying to figure out what to do with the person. Right, I think that's the way to do it. I think they much more come down to do you have what you need to do the sport. Yeah, I, the Titleist did that well. So, you know, TPI did a good job with that concept with Greg Rose and those guys, like just figuring out what to do. And it's kind of what we did with baseball. We, we hit it from two ends. We said, one, what do we know has been shown to cause injuries in, say, like the pitching delivery? Right, and then if we know certain mechanical faults in the pitching delivery can potentially increase force on the body and, and stress, then you know we can we can easily develop a screen for that. So that's one. And then the other hand is, well, what do you need to do in your pitching delivery to maximize your output, like your velocity or your effectiveness as a pitcher? And then obviously you can come up with a screen for that. So I'd say to answer the question in a very super long way is it has to be specific for your sport. So I think the, the, the trend right now in movement <clears throat> screens is away from one standardized screen that can magically predict injury and everything and to customize it based on the person in front of you. So, boom, schmecks. <laughs> All right, we got a longer question here. Rob from New York. I have recently had an influx of 10 to 15-year-old female gymnastics. Gymnastics athletes. Gymnasts. Gymnasts. In the past few weeks as their season ends, I specifically have seen Severs disease and stress fractures of the fifth metatarsal in athletes who push through for the last few weeks or months. Any wisdom on how, on how long the girl should be pain-free before returning to sport? Have any of you brilliant men, cough, cough, Dave, established a return to gymnastics protocol similar to graded return to throwing? such as five jumps a week for week one, as you would do with throwing, controlling for frequency, intensity, and repetitions. All right, so mental note, Logan's going to read your question exactly as written. This is like Anchorman, right? He read cough, cough. I think you're supposed to go, 
Awesome. All right. So, Dave, Gym, Lenny, well, what do you think? Gymnast, how do you? How, how, when is it safe for a gymnast to return? So, you see a ton of these overuse injuries. When is it safe to return? And then, do you have an interval return to gymnastics program that you follow? Yeah. So, I would say in terms of uh, like when they can start going back, it's obviously pain-free ADLs are usually like the basic kind of starting point. If you can't tolerate just like walking stairs, living your life, it's really gonna be hard to tolerate forces of gymnastics that are multiple times body weight. So that along with the basic stuff of range of motion strength, kind of like pain-free movement. Um, in terms of the interval thing, I would say that this is kind of where I've adopted most of your guys' work kind of in parallel to mine is that's how I started navigating the waters if there wasn't really an objective return to anything in gymnastics. So I kind of looked at the pitching programs and the distances and the principles. And I would say in the same degree, I kind of push them back in terms of the, the quality and the quantity, right? So in terms of the uh, quantity being like the numbers they do, and then the quality of like the surfaces. People don't realize in gymnastics, there's a variety of different surfaces they use that are of di- varying degrees of force. So uh, Lenny's favorite, the tumble track, is uh, more trampoline-based, and the forces are buffered significantly more than on the actual hard floor. Uh, and then foam pits are like almost no force, tumble tracks are next up, and then they have things called rod strips, which are like modified technology of springs, which are probably like halfway. So I would say if you're someone who's not familiar with gymnastics, probably ask the coaches about if they have those pieces of equipment available. And I usually start with pit and then tumble track and then rod strips and then actual floor, usually over like four weeks, like week by week. Um, And then I do count objectively how many they take. So if they're a landing athlete, it's like, okay, five dismounts in pit. And then maybe the next week it's five dismounts on tumble track and move your way up and then just kind of calculate an average starting. I guess, I'm not going to lie, I completely guess because there's no normative data. And then just kind of like be honest, be like it's going to have some good days, some bad days, pull back when you feel cranky, give yourself a day off, keep going more if you feel like you can handle it. Kind of the art meets the science. Similar principles of volume and frequency kind of going over time. But instead of like, you know, with sports like baseball, for example, we'll do number of throws, distance Distance, throws, intensity of throws. So it's not just quantity and frequency, but it's the same concept for you. You might do, you know, it sounds like you're going to ground reaction forces. Yeah. So that's going to be the aggressiveness of their jumps, Mm -hmm. right? As well as the surface of the jumps. And the height. Interesting. Yeah, and right, right. The height yeah. of the apparatus. Yeah, so pr- pretty interesting. There's stuff. actually a lot of ways to manipulate it if you just kind of talk with the coaches. Awesome. Sweet. Tally Ho, what's next? Dylan from Virginia. How do you assess pain threshold and deal with patients at slash athletes that try to minimize their pain and injury in order to be able to return to sport sooner? Nice. Pain thresholds. Dan Pope, I seem to recall a recent <laughs> article on your website, fitnesspainfree.com. <laughs> I kind of talked a little bit about this. So what, what's your thought on pain threshold and people? sounds like his specific question, too, is sounds like somebody was trying to grip through it, trying to yeah. go through it, which is, it. I mean, most people kind of do that. So, I mean, yeah. but what, what's your thoughts on that pain threshold concept? Well, I guess what I've been writing about lately is that, um, you know, it's a big question our, our patients ask all the time, how much pain is okay? You know, there was that uh, systematic review and BGSM that talked about if you push through a little bit more pain, um, you tend to have better short-term outcomes, short-term outcomes as opposed to no pain at all. Long-term outcomes were the same, but at least it gives us a little bit more wiggle room um, for our patients. And when they are having some injury or they're having some pain, it's not necessarily a, a bad thing, you know. Um, I really like this graph from uh, Adrian Lowe's text, uh, Therapeutic Neuroscience Education, where it's a little bit of a sweet spot. So if your pain threshold is here, right, you want to work at that pain threshold. So you want to blow through your pain necessarily. And the other piece is if you do too little, you might not be pushing enough to get better. You know, um, So that was kind of the, 
the article that I was writing. Um, as far as getting back to a sport and the athletes that push too hard and they don't necessarily say that they're hurting, I think a lot of times you can kind of tell, right? I think it comes down to knowing your athlete that's in front of you. I've had a lot of athletes, and these guys are actually very tough to work with because they, they don't really understand that blowing through their pain can potentially not be a good thing. So you'll tell them that you have to be able to listen to your pain and they want to be tough, they want to push through it, they go back and do things that are probably irritating them further and they end up you know, potentially getting hurt. Um, and I think a lot of times it's a big time education process. You gotta let them know that their ultimate goal is to get better, get back to the sport, whatever it is. And if you're constantly pushing too hard, you're not actually getting better, you're getting worse. And you'll see that, like athletes won't be able to run as fast, change direction as, as well. Their, their performance on basic exercise will go down. So you can see that from week to week and we say, okay, we probably need to change things up a little bit. Um, I think you're still gonna get those knuckleheads that just don't care and they keep on pushing through it and they don't get better. And that's, that's a very challenging athlete to work with. Um, and the other piece is that it depends what they're trying to get back for, right? If you have a major competition that's coming up and that individual uh, isn't potentially going to be ready for that, you're going to try your best to prepare them so that when they get to that competition, they're not basically under-trained. So sometimes you are pushing through a bit more pain um, because they need to be able to bridge that gap a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, on an individual basis, um, knowing the athlete is going to be really important and just trying to give that athlete what you feel is best for them from a rehab perspective. I think you can see compensations. Like you said, if you know your athlete pretty well, <clears throat> you can see compensations their throwing mechanics and their jumping and landing, how much force they can produce, how intense they're able to, you know, they can mask it somewhat, but I think if you've got a keen eye on them and you, you've seen them at their best or somewhat at their peak or even not, you should be able to pick up some compensations. I was, in my experience with sports medicine, I'd say <clears throat> no athlete feels good, right? I don't know if that's like a good blank statement, but I mean, think about baseball. So a baseball pitcher definitely doesn't feel good, right? They hurt every day, right? And they still get out there and pitch somehow. Uh, the position players play 162 games in 180 days. Pretty sure they don't feel good, right? I mean, that's kind of safe to say. Um, I'm pretty sure football players don't feel good. <laughs> I don't even know how they get out of bed on Monday. Um, so, I, I mean, I think there's a certain sense of that. I mean, Dan said it really well. You can push way too far, but I think if you're trying to play at 0% and feel 100% all the time, I think, I, I think that's going to be really challenging. You know, so I, you know, I think it, it, for us, it's about understanding that it's okay that they're in a little pain sometimes, as long as one, we know that the risk reward ratio is there, right? So we just have to make sure if if they have a significant injury, right, and you're you're thinking they have a very limited chance of being able to play without with, without hurting themselves more, then that becomes a different equation. But just working through some pain, as long as they're as long as their you know performance is up, I think that that's pretty common. I guess is, is what I would say. So. One more. That's it? That's three. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate another great episode. Head to MikeRinald.com. Click on that podcast link. Ask us questions. Go to iTunes. Rate and review. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to MikeRinald.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeReynolds.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.